City Lights is a community of faith in Jesus, seeking to equip people to exalt Him and extend His kingdom. This message is from our study through the Gospel of John called Believe, Jesus Changes Everything. If you are encouraged and challenged by this message, please share it with someone, post it on social media, or let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. So just a quick run through of my outline today. Uh, I'm going to tell a pretty long story in the beginning. Um, I'm going to go through two scriptures, but in the beginning, we're just going to, I'm just going to talk for a little bit. So those of you who are auditory learners, you're going to love what's happening right now. For those of you who are ADD like I am, I'm just praying for you as I pray for myself when there's long stories. Uh, but I just want to go back to the, being, the, back to the beginning with you guys, and that's in Genesis chapter 1. We're not going to have a passage up here, but I'm just going to tell you a story. So in the beginning, we find out the beginning of the Bible that God creates the heavens and the earth. He separates the water from the land. He creates trees and plants and fruit and vegetables and creates animals. He creates insects. And it's a really beautiful, beautiful picture. But then shortly after that, he says, let's create man in our own image because God's all about community. God's all about people. So he ends up creating man and then he creates woman because he says, man, it's not good for you to be alone. I want more people that you can do this with. And the whole point of creation, as Chris has talked with Garden City, the whole point was that God could do this alongside other people, that we could actually build a community together, build a world to develop, to create, to be creative, as what we just saw from Brandon. Uh, That's God's heart, but doing it in community, doing it as family. And that's all it's been since the beginning. It wasn't just so he could have people to lord his authority over. He wanted family. He didn't need it, but he wanted it. And he wanted us to experience that same family with him. Essentially, uh, I just have this line I want to share with you guys. We were, we are, and we always will be called to partner with God in the beauty of creating, developing, and cultivating the garden city, which is bringing heaven into the earth through us, his people. And that's been the heart of God since the dawn of time, since the beginning of time. It's always been his heart that we'd be able to do this together. But as you guys know, in Genesis 3, uh, Adam and Eve are actually tempted by the devil, by the serpent. And in that moment, he just starts to tell them, hey, if you eat of this tree that God didn't tell you to eat of, you're not going to die. Nothing bad will happen. It's all going to be fine. And the key point here is that this is one of the first moments where God's not in the picture. And they are alone in this garden at this moment with just the serpent. And so that's the only voice that they start hearing today in this moment. The issue with that is when we start to turn away or turn our our ears off to what God is saying, and we start to turn our hearts off to what he's saying, when we just stop listening, that's immediately when the enemy comes in to start telling us lies about ourselves, lies about who God is, and lies about our family, our relationships, whatever it may be. But the issue that was there is, like I said before, God has been committed to the development of a garden city in partnership with his people since the dawn of time, But since the dawn of time, mankind has been plagued with an innate temptation to go against those plans. And it all started right there in the garden with a serpent. So like I said before, he tells them to eat the fruit. They eat the fruit, and that's where everything starts to fall apart. Because they lose trust with God, they lose relationship with God. And after that moment, they go into hiding because they realize they're naked. Their eyes have been opened, they've been awakened to the fact that There is good and there is evil. And that's the tree that they ate of, was the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what's interesting about that is 
from, that, from eating that tree, the only voice they had just heard was an evil voice, the voice of evil. So now there's this temptation in them to always go towards evil. And that's sort of what sends mankind into this whole process. And so I want you guys to sort of put your mind there and think about how it probably felt, not just for Adam and Eve, but the heart of God. Because my, my point this week or today is just that God is good. He's always been good. He's always going to be good. And that's never changed, even in the Old Testament. And as you read the Old Testament, it cannot seem that way. It can seem like he's mad and he's angry and he's wrathful and he's destroying people and he's killing entire civilizations. But for someone like Adam and Eve, to commit a sin, to, to walk with the enemy, to walk in darkness, God is separate from those things. And so truly what they deserved as a punishment, if we were to call it a punishment, is full separation, which is annihilation. God could have, and rightfully so, could have just blown up the whole thing. He could have just said, forget it, I'm done. You don't want me, fine, and blown up the whole thing. But instead, he actually ends up letting them out of the garden, but he lets them continue to be fruitful and multiply, which was the original covenant that he made with them. He lets them continue to dwell in the land that he built for them, even though they essentially said they don't want him anymore. And on top of that, they let, he let man create food and, and, and build his own you know, farming and things like that. Bill Johnson has an interesting quote about all this. He says, God created us to be his delegated authority to illustrate and model his generous, delightful rule over all creation. And when we partnered with the liar, we invited him to afflict us. So that's not the only story I want to go through. There's two more. Uh, Cain and Abel, which follows right after Adam and Eve. We have this story where Adam and Eve have children. It's Cain and Abel. Abel goes to give an offering before the Lord, and it's a, it's a good offering. It's a fruitful offering. And then Cain comes, and his offering isn't taken by the Lord. And so Cain gets jealous, and he gets angry of his brother, and then he goes and murders his brother. Again, in this act, we're not hearing about God. We're not hearing about Cain having a conversation with God where he could have just said, Lord, I'm feeling jealous. I don't know why my brother's better than me. I don't know why you prefer him over me. That conversation never happened. What did happen is he got angry, he got mad, and he responded and murders his brother. So as I said before, God is still good, right? What's very interesting about this is as Cain has murdered his brother, God comes one-on-one with Cain and speaks to him. After we've been kicked out of the garden, after we've sinned against God, now God is still trying to make relationship with his people. And he says to Cain, where's your brother? Cain says, I'm not my brother's keeper. I just picture like some like angry little kid, you know? I'm not my brother's keeper. And he says, I can hear the blood of your brother crying out to me from the ground. Calls him out, says, I know what you've done. And this whole conversation starts to happen. But God, still in his goodness, not only communicates with Cain, but starts to actually counsel him. And to guide him. And he starts to say things like, the enemy is waiting, crouching right behind you to kill you, to destroy you. So be alert. Wake up. So Cain starts feeling guilty and, and regretful about all these things that he's done. And then God just says, or Cain just first of all says, someone's going to kill me and I deserve it. Since I've murdered, I need to be murdered. And then God says, no, I'm going to put a mark on your head and no one's ever going to touch you all the days of your life. And if they do, I'm going to destroy them. That's goodness. Are you guys hearing that this morning? This is goodness of God, that he looks at a murderer 
at the beginning of time and doesn't say we're done, but keeps going, keeps pursuing. The last portion of the story I want to share is about Noah. And this is the next situation to happen in Genesis. So God looks upon the world and he's deeply saddened by it. There's actually the scripture says that he feels sorry about the creation that he created. And to me, when I first read that, I think, so God thinks he made a mistake, but God's perfect. He doesn't make mistakes, does he? And so when I went and did some research about the Hebrew of that word, the word is actually nakam. And that word, like I said, it does mean deeply saddened. And he had to console himself. God was heartbroken that his creation didn't want him. That someone he had created to partner with, to do life with, to walk alongside, to build, to cultivate, to create, didn't want to do it anymore. And they want to go and do their own thing. There's been times in my life where I've had people uh, in my family treat me like that. Um, I've been through situations where I've, I've felt it. And just knowing that you're not wanted. And again, God doesn't need us. He never did. But he created us for family and we just turned our backs on him. That's tough. And so Yahweh didn't realize that he had made a mistake. So when he looks back, he didn't say, I made a mistake. His people had just forgotten their purpose and turned away from him. They forgot the whole point. I want you guys to hear this this morning. What we view as a punishment was simply Yahweh giving his people what they truly desired, separation. See, what happens is God says, because these people don't want me anymore or they feel like they don't need me anymore, I'm just gonna start completely over. And this wasn't a genuine reset, like I, I've changed my mind, I don't wanna do this anymore. But he said, if this is what you want, this is what it looks like. This is separation. And he wipes out the entire planet except for one man and his family, and that man is named Noah. And right after that portion of scripture where he talks about destroying the earth, he says, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Later on, it says, Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless before God. And blameless there doesn't mean he was perfect. It just means he was a sound and just concrete guy. He was steady. And it says that he walked with the Lord. See, it isn't about our sin, just our sin that separates us from God. But it's when we turn our back and say, I don't want you, I don't need you, that's the difference maker, is when we just say no to him. But Noah walked with him imperfectly, but he walked alongside him. But it didn't end here. If we were to continue in this way throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we would see a thread of one simple fact, and that is mankind would continue to compromise their purpose with Yahweh. But he never did, and he never will. So Noah goes on to build an ark. For 40 days and 40 nights, the whole earth is flooded. Everything outside of that ark is destroyed. And when they land, God makes another promise to Noah. He says, I'm never again going to do this to the earth. And he just makes a command. He says, so be fruitful and multiply. Cultivate the land, develop it. And then he makes a law about murder. If you murder anyone, you're going to be murdered yourself. If you commit bloodshed, bloodshed will be committed against you. But God starts again. His plan never changed. His promise never changed that we are going to build together. We are going to grow together. It never changed. It kept happening. 
And like I said, over time, mankind kept compromising. Chris used that word earlier, and I love it. When we use compromise, it's saying that we're going to take a step to, that's going to prevent us from moving forward. And what happened with mankind, and you'll see all through the Old Testament, which I encourage you, if you haven't read the Old Testament all the way through, please do. And I know for me, when I was younger, I thought, this is just scary, and I don't want to see God this way. God is love and grace and mercy and kindness. And like we were saying, just all the feels. He just makes me feel so good. I don't want to hear about him destroying entire cities. I'm good. But it really is beneficial, because like I said before, when we place God and his goodness up next to his justice, it really starts to make sense how good he truly is. That he's always been gracious, he's always been kind, he's always been merciful, he's always been forgiving, and he's always been good. And through the rest of history, you see it, all of the book of Genesis, there's, there's, more, there's rape, and there's murder, and there's stealing, and there's lying. There's all these awful things that happen just in the book of Genesis. Even the man who would go to, to actually build the nation of Israel from his bloodline, Jacob, steals his brother's birthright by lying to his father, which is insane. And then God, a couple chapters later, says, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. You're gonna be the father of many nations. Insane. And you just read over that and you read it because it's Old Testament because it's Bible, but then it's like, this is crazy. This man stole from his brother what was rightfully his. But God is still good and he's still gracious and he's still kind to keep his promises. He's good and He's just. So from then on, Jacob, who I was just talking about, um, he and his wife end up having 12 boys and two girls. 10 of those boys end up building the 10 tribes of Israel, and two of his grandchildren build the other two tribes of Israel. So now the nation of Israel is built through this bloodline, an imperfect bloodline, mind you. God kept his promise. He still wanted to do his original plan. So at times... uh, I'm going to get into John right now, which is what we're doing in Believe. It's a study through the book of John. We've been in it since um, Jesus ascended into heaven. It feels like a very long time that we've been doing Believe, but it's been really good. Uh, But we're in the book of John right now. And before I do that, you know, it's interesting. Like I said before, I was studying through this passage for the past couple weeks. And it was odd as I started just to go back through Scripture, just trying to get information, information, revelation, uh, I just started to notice something that scripture most of the time uh, speaks for itself. There's a lot of times where we don't have to look at the Hebrew. We don't have to look at the Greek. You just have to look at history, what God has said. We call that logos. That's the word for it. What God has already said, and it will reveal the truth that's present for this moment. So before we get into John, there's one portion of scripture I want you guys to turn to. It's Psalm 80. So you guys have a Bible or a phone or a tablet, I encourage you to turn there. And this is a huge fast forward. So this is, I mean, thousands of years um, after the Jacob situation that I was just talking about. But it's really going to correlate with what we're going to talk about in John because when I was reading John, to be honest with you, uh, it's a portion of scripture that I told Chris and Oliver. I just said, man, this is, this is a worn out passage. This is something that it's got a lot of truth and it's rich with truth, but the church has just used it and used it. And we've said the same thing about it over and over again. And I said, I don't want to say that again. So I was really worried about it. I was nervous about it. And like I said, the Lord just gave so much good truth here. And hopefully you guys will start to pick up on the 
just sort of the themes that are coming out of this. This is Psalm 80. And I'm sort of going to break this down as we go along. It says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come and save us. So just to explain that whole uh, intro phrase right there. Um, Joseph was a son of Jacob, who I just talked about, and Joseph's two kids ended up going to go and build two of the tribes of Israel. So it's reverting back, thinking back to the tribes of Israel when they were fully united, because further than he says, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, um, cherubs were something that was on the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was used to, to carry the presence of the Lord, and, and it actually had the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. So that's what he's talking about there. And it says, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Those were the three tribes that would actually follow the ark when they were in the wilderness and when they were marching forward. Those three tribes would follow the ark of the covenant. Verse four, it says, O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? For you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. So it's interesting is, like I said about Israel, they always were compromising. So in the book of Joshua, uh, Israel actually takes the land that was promised to them. But then you find out in Judges that they didn't fully inhabit all the land that was promised to them. And you find out that they actually started to uh, mingle with other nations who were pagan worshipers, who didn't follow Yahweh, didn't believe in Yahweh, and they were compromising. And when called by Yahweh to fully inhabit the promised land by clearing out the residing nations and to take possession of the land, the Israelites failed to do so. And that's been the cycle for Israel. It's been a constant cycle of God calls, Israel responds, Israel rebels, God imputes his wrath, Israel repents, God forgives, Israel responds, Israel rebels over and over and over again. So they're sitting here saying, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? It's like, well, you've been doing this for a long time, so... If you really, and that's what I'm saying, you, you, you look at Israel, which is the big example I'm using today, and like I said before, please read through the Old Testament. It's, it's so clear. If we really choose to see that he's good and that he's gracious, it's so clear. Verse 8 through 18. So this is where, this is going to correlate with John here in a moment. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. And then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. The thing that was happening is Israel was starting to be overrun by other nations. People were coming in and just taking over. I mean, if you read, again, the Old Testament, it's just all about Israel getting taken over by nation after nation after nation. They built a temple, Solomon did, for the Lord. It gets destroyed and demolished. And that's when he says the boar from the forest ravages it. That's what it's talking about. 
But here at the very end, I want you guys to focus on something with me. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man. So at first, this is a reference to the tribe of Benjamin, the first tribe of Israel. But later on, what they didn't realize would happen, it was actually a foreshadowing to the coming Messiah, to Jesus Christ. As you guys read in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He's referred to as the son of man as he walked on the earth. And I just find it interesting, you know, Israel, they really want to ask God for help, but they never truly want to do something for him. It's always for themselves. It's rebuild our temple. Um, Chris told us a while back about um, people of the Jewish faith. When he went over to Israel, people were actually standing at the walls of the torn down temple praying and just hoping that God will come down and that he will rebuild the temple. Because people believe that that's what it's all about. It's about Israel getting strong again. It's about Israel being thriving again. But really, God, that's, again, that's not his heart. His heart was that Israel would, like it said before, would dig roots. In Jeremiah 29, that we talk about all the time, seek the welfare of those around you. Bless those around you. And that we would spread out. The kingdom of heaven would actually spread out from that place. But Israel wanted to keep it all in one place. A couple other scriptures for you. Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. It says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. This word wild in the Hebrew is foreign. And foreign is unknown. Don't recognize it. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Israel, again, God knew this was gonna happen, but Israel wasn't doing what he intended for them to do. They didn't truly want to follow him. They didn't truly want to walk with him. They wanted to do their own thing, live their own life, marry their own people, whoever they felt like, instead of the actual dream of a garden city. The actual dream of a world that is full of peace, that's filled with good, with kindness, with gentleness, forgiveness, and mercy. Abundance of life that Jesus talks about. And so here God says, I'm going to destroy the whole thing. And like I said today, Israel stands today with a destroyed temple. And they're just waiting, hoping, praying that God's going to come down and restore the whole thing. But the truth of it, I truly believe they did it to themselves and we do it to ourselves. Right? 
you guys would, turn to Jeremiah 2.21. Verse 21 says, Yet I planted you a choice vine. It's a vine of my choice. I specifically chose you. Holy of pure seed. You're just filled with purity, filled with a pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate? That word just means to go backwards and become a wild vine. The actual next verse says, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. Last one is Ezekiel 15, one through eight. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it was given to the fire for fuel. And when the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it is charred can it ever be used for anything? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I have given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will set my face against them. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them. And you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate because they have acted faithlessly, declares the Lord. The next chapter in Ezekiel is called The Lord's Faithless Bride. It's pretty interesting, guys. Israel, as I said before, they want to build their own kingdom, build their own life. And even to this day, they're still waiting. But there did come a point at the end of the Old Testament where God just went silent for hundreds of years. I don't believe that God is someone who gives up but I do believe that God is someone who gives us to our own desires when we truly want it. There was a time when Israel was whole. There was a time where God was leading Israel, but they didn't want him. They didn't want what he had. So now I want to open up to John 15. John 15, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is actually Jesus' last week of life. He's about to go to the cross very soon. And this is his last meal with his disciples. Remember what we've been reading about this whole time, all the scripture I've been using. Thank you guys for being patient through all that. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So abide in me. In other words, remain in me, rest in me, and I in you. As for the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God planted a a rich, prosperous vine in the land of Canaan. He cleared the land for it. He cleared the stones. The stones just were representing other nations, other um, people groups that he cleared out for Israel to take the land and to prosper. And for thousands and thousands of years, like I said before, it was this constant cycle of Israel saying, I want to do my own thing. And God reveals himself and says, if you want to do your own thing, this is what it looks like. And they say, oh, never mind. I don't want to do my own thing anymore. Whatever you want. He's like, great, let's get back on track. Oh, I wanted to go do my own thing now. Okay, 3,000 people slaughtered because of their sin. Because of their sin. He's good, but he's just. And when we say no to him, we're choosing the justice. But the deal is that Israel was never meant to be that fruitful vine, which means, well, Timothy, then what was the point? Why would God walk along with Israel for all these thousands of years? Just to show the people that he created how much he loves them. Because he thought they were worth it. Knowing the outcome. He could have just done what he wanted, but the bottom line is that he wants to include us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to build with us, through us. Not just let you be on the sideline and watch him work. There's a reason why when Jesus fed the 5,000, he asked the disciples to actually pass out the food instead of filling up stomachs. I'm not that kind of guy who talks, but are you guys hearing me this morning? He wants you to partner with him. And so Jesus comes on the scene here, and for the first time in hundreds of years, he says, I'm the true vine now. And all that means, guys, is my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All that means is I'm going to carry it all now, even to the point of the cross. Jesus on the cross is him being the vine. Jesus taking the, the scorn and the punishment is him being the vine. And the father is the vine dresser doesn't just mean that he's gonna take things out of our lives that are temptation. It means that he's sending his son to the cross to die for us because he's dressing his vine. So this morning, the, there's one simple line I really wanna give to you guys. And it's just this, Jesus becomes the vine we could never be so we can bear the fruit that we could never produce. There's such an ease in walking with him. There's such a a simplicity in walking with him. And yes, I just said, it's easy. Jesus, when he says, abide in me, 
remain in me. He's telling the disciples, we're not dating anymore, guys. I want to marry you. I want to take this seriously. So remain in me. Stay here. Don't go to the left or to the right, but stay here. But it's ease. Just remain in me. I heard it this past week, and I'm trying to remember who told it to me, and it was, it was so good. But someone said they, when they think about an idea, I believe, of abiding, they said it's like a firefighter going into a burning building and grabbing someone out of it and running back out of the building. They're going to get burned, but you're safe. And that's what Jesus has done with the vine. He's carrying us. He said, I'm going to pick you up now, and I'm going to carry the whole thing. In John chapter 16, he actually talks about the spirit of God. And he says, when I go, there's actually going to be someone who's better than me. And it's the comforter. And I've been joking around. I believe when the Holy Spirit comes down in the beginning of Acts, that's marriage. (laughs) That's getting married. Now we are the closest we could ever be here on earth. When he gives us that Holy Spirit inside of us, it's better. Because we're not just engaged. I remember being engaged with my wife. It was the hardest season. And I'm not just talking about being just a guy. I'm saying like, it was hard because I love her so much. And I, I just want to be married to her. I want to do everything together. I want to walk through life with her. But when you're engaged, it's just like, come on, let's go. And you have to wait. But the disciples are just kind of like, okay, whatever you say, man, (laughs) this whole supper, they're just, what is he talking about? The band can go ahead and come up. You guys are good. But again, Jesus, he becomes the vine that we can never be so we can bear the fruit we can never produce. We just get to enjoy it now. But the issue is abiding is, it's definitely a choice. And one of the questions I was asking myself, I was thinking, why wouldn't I abide? If it's so easy, why don't I? And I think back, why was it so hard for Israel? They wanted to do their own thing. For Adam and Eve in the garden, they didn't trust God. They thought he was holding out on them, telling them a lie. So my challenge for you guys today, I thought about asking questions, but I want to do that. I want you to to have your own time with the Lord. And and even right now, this is going to be a little different. I'd love for you just to close your eyes for a moment and seek the, the voice of the Lord here right now. I think that's my daughter, maybe. But ask the Lord to, to search your heart. David said that in the Psalms. He said, search me and know me. So even say that right now in this moment. Search me and know me. Through and through, Lord. just take a a quick inventory of your life. You know, the passage said to prove to God that we're Jesus' disciples, but the, the beautiful thing is that the fruit proves it, and fruit will come from abiding. But take a an inventory of your heart and just say, Lord, show me the fruit. 
Show me the fruit. Show me, is there, is there good fruit in my life? Or is there wild fruit in my life? That wild fruit was, was fruit that God, he didn't even recognize. It's like, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know who you're listening to. I don't know what you're abiding in. Find the fruit. And I promise you, when you do that, the fruit will will point back to the root. And if I did ask a question, it's just that simple question. What are you abiding in this morning? What What is your purpose here this morning? I hope you guys are, are hearing this and not just because I'm saying it, but he, he wants you. He created you for himself and himself for you. And there's something so beautiful about that. And all the way to this moment that Jesus says, okay, I'm gonna be the true vine. And we just get to be the branches that get to produce the fruit. We get to be the branches that see the restored relationships. We're the branches that get to see the change in our communities, the change in our marriages, our relationships with our kids. We get to be that branch. Because guys, when I say fruit, I'm not talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Those are a part of the goodness of God. And when we abide, those things come out. But I want you to really look around you. and say, am I abiding? Because as we've said in the past, there is no gray with the Lord. He's only black and white. There's only light and there's dark. And so you're either abiding in the light or you're abiding in the dark, which is a very absolute statement. We're gonna sing this song here in a moment. One of the words is illuminate what's right in front of me. So in this moment, we're, we're asking you, Lord, to, to open, open the windows, the doors, turn all the lights on. Reveal what's within. Jesus, we're thankful this morning that you are the true vine. We thank you that you're gonna bear it all and that you already have and you will until we see you again. Thank you, Lord, that the easiness of walking with you is just talking to you. It's what would have happened if Cain would have just communicated back to Yahweh. Guys, I promise you that this morning, if you, whether you feel that you've already been abiding, Maybe you're looking at yourself and saying, I just don't think I have. Let's start today. Let's start remaining. Let's start pressing in. Let's start seeking. Bring him into the conversation. That's what happened with Israel. They left him out of the conversation until they needed something. But God isn't transactional. He's relational. 
He is your father. He's your husband. And all of us, all of us who have said yes to him, when we said, I believe in you and I say yes to you, we said, I do. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit is just now and dwelt within us. And that's the one who bears the fruit. But if we don't source ourselves, if we don't remain in who our God is, we'll never know his intentions. We'll never know his purposes. And we'll never know the good, good, good gifts that he has for us. So now as we've been processing together, I I encourage you just to open your mind wide, open your heart wide, and just leave empty space for him to come and to speak this morning. Because this is about relationship, guys. This isn't, I'm going to abide this week, so I'm going to read my devotionals, and I'm going to say prayer before every meal, and listen to worship music. That's not what this is. This is a walk. Noah who walked with God. I encourage you just to walk alongside him this morning.